Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I'm actually driving to sheep camp right now. Uh, The sheep hunt starts on Saturday, which is December 1st, and these podcast episodes will air uh, probably sometime in the month of December. But I get a lot of questions on Instagram, and I love uh, answering listener and Instagram followers' questions. But a lot of times there's not an overlap between people that listen on the podcast and listen or, excuse me, follow on Instagram. So I figured I would go through some of these questions and just do an audio podcast uh, answering them. So let's uh, get right to those questions here. It says, what unit in Arizona has the highest deer concentrations? Um, good question. I don't know the exact answer to that. I would assume that the Kaibab uh, up in Unit 12, uh, up on the north rim of, of the Grand Canyon, probably has some of the highest uh, deer densities when you're talking about mule deer in the state of Arizona. Uh, you've got the Arizona Strip, which are Units 13A and 13B. Uh, which are to the west of the Kaibab. So you've got the 12A east and 12A west on the Kaibab and then 12B. Um, But you've got the strip out there to the west. They have a lot lower density, uh, deer density, uh, but they do have just ginormous bucks uh, out there on the Arizona Strip. But concentration-wise, I'd have to say the Kaibab is probably up there uh, as far as deer numbers question comes in uh, is the Kuyu guide pant too warm for September and October uh, AZ hunts and my first question is which hunts are you talking about September October elk hunts in Arizona or are you talking about potentially the late archery deer uh, hunts uh, or maybe even early deer hunts the coos deer hunts in October or even some of the mule deer hunts Uh, I'm going to say for elk hunts, the uh, guide pant for elk hunts in Arizona is probably a little on the warm side, Uh, but as you get later in those archery uh, elk hunts in Arizona, especially in those northern units, um, you know, 9, 10s, 7s, 6s, 1s, 27s, I mean, you can get down into the 30s. So very very comfortably, uh, the guide pant would work fine. You can also use the side uh, vents when you're walking uh, to let them breathe. Uh, And definitely, if you're going to sit and be calling bulls, you know, into those early rifle hunts when the temperatures are cold, I think the guide pant is fine. Uh, My favorite pant is the Kuyu Tiburon or the uh, Kuyu Attack Pant uh, for those... Uh, September archery elk hunts. The Tiburon is my number one choice. It has the dot air technology which allows air to flow freely throughout the pant. I'm actually wearing them right now. It's also the shorts. I wear the Tiburon shorts all year round. Uh, It's definitely all the the shorts that I wear when I'm uh, rowing my rafts uh, in Colorado fishing. It's um, what I wear leisure wear. Um, those Tiburon, the Tiburon fabric, that dot air uh, technology uh, is phenomenal and they're very breathable, very stretchy, um, very comfortable uh, shorts and pants. The attack pant is probably the uh, best selling pant for a long time for Kuyu. It has the four-way stretch. 
and it's just an all-around great pant. Uh, so hopefully that answers your question. Got a question here. We've been talking about snow skiing. Um, I dove back into snow skiing last year uh, in Colorado. I actually got 10 days in, and I skied mostly at uh, Snowmass, Aspen, and Aspen Highlands. There, I've got a house uh, in the Roaring Fork Valley, and so I'm very close to those resorts. But I was able to get uh, 10 days of skiing in. Uh, I skied a bunch. I don't even remember learning. Uh, my parents tell me I learned when I was, you know, two or three years old. Um, and I consider myself a good skier. I'm kind of a groomed run cruiser. Uh, make lots of turns. Like to go fast. Uh, my knees, I just, I, I don't enjoy doing bumps or, or moguls or anything like that anymore. But uh, really got a kick out of the new technology of skis. So I hadn't skied in 20 years. The last time I skied was 25. And last February I was uh, 45 years old. So I didn't know what to expect. Uh, I actually rented a pair of skis, a pair of boots, poles, the whole nine yards. I actually bought a helmet and uh, some goggles and um, didn't know what to expect. I went up the lift and literally buckled my boots and made four or five turns and it just felt like I'd never quit. Uh, and it was really, really rewarding to be able to uh, just remember my body, remembered how to do it. And I felt like after a half day skiing, I was pretty much right where I left off uh, 20 years ago. The technology, the skis are shorter um, and they turn really, really well. And I'm really looking forward to uh, skiing this year after the I'm going to the Sheep Show uh, in early February, and then I'm going to the Western Hunting uh, uh, Expo in Salt Lake City, and then I'm headed to my place there um, by Aspen, and I'm going to try and get 30 days of skiing, and I actually bought a, a season pass, and I'm super excited. But the question comes in, uh, what is your favorite ski resort? Uh, as a kid, we kind of grew up skiing at Telluride, we skied at Vail, we skied at uh, uh, Deer Valley. That's kind of what our family did on Christmas vacations and spring break vacations. Whenever, whenever there was enough money to go on a ski trip, uh, that's kind of what we did as a family. Uh, and so I'm, I love skiing in Utah, you know, Alta, Snowbird, uh, Deer Valley, Park City, um, and then as well as Colorado, skied a bunch in Colorado. Um, so those, you know, I, I, I'd have to say uh, Deer Valley is, is a fun one, uh, Telluride is a fun one, and, but I'm, I've really enjoyed last year skiing the Aspen Snowmass, Aspen Highlands area. So uh, thanks for the question. Get a question in here. Um, any tips for solo hunting? I guess the tips I would have would be be, be mentally tough. Uh, when you're hunting by yourself, you know, you live and die by, by your efforts. And a lot of people like that. And... Alright, let's dive back to the questions here. About how long after a big fire would animals be back in the habitat a year or much longer? My answer would be uh, usually within a couple months. Actually, I've seen it, I've heard guys talk about within a matter of days, a matter of weeks, those animals move back in, just checking things out. 
Um, when you have those big burns, we just had one in Colorado, uh, uh, the spring fire by the Odd Six Ranch. Um, the thing you got to watch out for is those fires where they burn really, really hot. When they burn really, really hot, they burn all of the vegetation and all of the trees, and they basically just scorch and scour everything. Uh, when that happens, it takes the forest regeneration and all the shrubs and, and browse and all the grasses and everything, it takes it a lot longer for uh, them to regrow. What you want to look for in those fires is you want to look for those areas that kind of burn in mosaics where, you know, they leave like a whole big slope, a whole ridge of north-facing slope of timber, everything around it burns, um, but it's like checkerboarded. And the 3C, that Rodeo Chetasky fire, back whenever it was in 02 or whenever that was, I can't think, 01, 02, um, it burned, some places it burned really, really hot where you literally have moonscape for like four or five miles and there's not a single green tree around uh, still to this day. And then there's areas where it burned, you know, and blew up over the top of a ridge and it left like, you know, a whole ridge line of timber either on top or on the sides, usually on the sides. And what that creates is it creates an area for those uh, animals to bed down and seek cover and they can feel safe and then they can go out into the burn areas and feed and then come back into those timbered green areas. Uh, if you're, you know, speaking specifically about Arizona, if you're in that wallow fire area, uh, if you're in that uh, rodeo Chetasky fire area, you really want to look for those areas of mosaic and look for those green timber, those pockets of green trees and know that your animals, whether it be turkeys roosting there, you know, deer, elk, uh, what have you, they're going to be bedded in those green areas and that's going to be their areas of safety and, and security. And then they're going to branch out to do their feeding, do their rutting or what have you uh, in the burn areas. But look for those mosaic areas uh, and you're going to find more game. What kind of boat do you float down the rivers in Colorado with? Um, good question. I've got a 13-foot Star inflatable raft. I believe Star, the company, is out of North Carolina, but I could be wrong on that. It's somewhere back east. And then Downriver Equipment, which I believe is based out of Denver, Colorado. Uh, I've got a Downriver frame uh, on my boat, and that's my 13-foot boat. It's got the fly fishing platforms on the front and the back, and then Iro in the middle. Uh, I am not a licensed guide in Colorado. I don't do uh, paid uh, fishing trips. Uh, I just fish with family and friends, uh, and I really enjoy it. Uh, I get to fish kind of my home water is in the Roaring Fork Valley on the Roaring Fork River, uh, the Colorado River, uh, up in the Eagle uh, River Valley up there, the Eagle River, which basically runs uh, from Edwards down to um, kind of by gypsum or just below gypsum where it meets the confluence of the Colorado. Uh, and then I've got a little small nine foot six uh, T-Rex, they call it, and it's a boat uh, out of uh, Steamboat Springs, Colorado, and it's nine foot six. So it's a real short boat and it's still five, I believe it's five and a half feet wide. So it's, it's only got one fishing um, seat in the front, not in the back, and then Iro in the center. Um, it's really made for two people, and that's the boat that um, I take down into the Black Canyon of the Gunnison. 
uh, and float from Pleasure Park, or excuse me, from Chucker Trail, uh, hike, hike the boat end frame and all our gear down and float down to Pleasure Park, which I think it's like a 14 mile float. I also float that T-Rex, that nine foot six boat uh, in the Eagle and in the Roaring Fork and some of the other rivers uh, when the water gets really low. It, it drafts very little water. Um, it's still a self-bailing self boat, um, so it, it drafts very little water and it's perfect for one man fishing and I can fish a lot of water um, even when guide boats and stuff can't get can't get down the river I can get that boat down a lot um, I had a flycraft you've probably heard of it um, it's it's I believe a 12-foot boat uh, it's a real narrow boat it's not self bailing but it drafts very very uh, shallow water and I had it for a few times uh, my buddy Dano and I took it up on the Eagle River and literally about uh, killed ourselves um, we were in some really nice class 3 rapids and water it only has, uh, I believe the tubes are like, uh, I think they're 13 inches around. So you don't have much to, to, well, your tubes aren't big enough in my opinion and water kept coming over the boat because when you're ferrying across the river going in and out of the rocks, uh, you get water over the side. Well, it's not self-bailing, meaning water doesn't come in and come out. It just comes in the boat and you literally have to uh, bail water out of the boat or your boat gets super super heavy. We got in a, a big rapid on the Eagle River um, up in a stretch, a skinny stretch up above Edwards and um, came down through some boulder patch and that water, that, that boat filled up completely with water all the way to the top and you know I probably had three or four hundred pounds of, of water, that might be an exaggeration, um, but completely full I, I basically had no control over the boat and it didn't take me long I actually got rid of that boat um, I think that flycraft would be great for rivers that don't have you know bigger rapids and such um, you know some of the flat water stuff it'd be awesome and you know some of the applications on the videos that I've seen them using that boat it's awesome uh, but the t-rex works a lot better for me for the pocket water and the stuff we fish Here's a question, uh, Jay, have you ever fished New Zealand? Uh, actually, yes, in 2005. My wife and I actually went on our honeymoon uh, in New Zealand. Uh, we went to the South Island of New Zealand, actually spent 14 days. We actually fished nine different days, uh, every day with a guide uh, in New Zealand. And I caught, we caught, my wife and I both caught some beautiful, beautiful fish. Um, uh, down there they don't go by inches they go by pounds and they actually have these nets when you catch them they actually put them in the net and they hold it up and they tell you how much it weighed and the biggest one I caught was a 10 pound brown just a beautiful fish um, I keep saying that I want to go back to New Zealand and spend a month or two during the prime season and really get to explore uh, that I fished uh, one of my favorite guys I fished with was uh, Nigel Burt with uh, Backcountry New Zealand. Uh, I think that's what he calls it, Backcountry New Zealand. And uh, he, he was a phenomenal guide and just just had a ball, caught some really nice fish with him. And uh, he's actually at the Western Hunting Expo. I saw him there last year and actually um, have kind of made contact with him, told him I wanna, wanna see him this year at the Western Hunting Expo, him and his wife. I saw him briefly last year, him and his wife, Miriam. Uh, really, really nice people. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting back to New Zealand here one of these days. 
I want to say we went in like March or April, which the seasons are flip-flopped. Uh, so if I win again, I'd probably go the month of March. Uh, obviously this year that's going to kind of conflict with me wanting to ski for, uh, for 30 days. So it's probably not happening this year. Question, Jay, where did you go to high school? Where did you go to college? Uh, I grew up in uh, kind of the Paradise Valley Mall area of Phoenix, Arizona, which is kind of right on the edge of Scottsdale and Paradise Valley and Phoenix. Uh, since, uh, well, we lived in Tempe for a little while and then uh, basically grew up on the 17th hole of the Stone Creek Golf Course, if you guys are familiar with the Phoenix area. Um, for, I don't know, 15 years, my parents had a house there, and that's where I learned uh, and fell in love with the game of golf, and I went to high school, well, uh, I went to Hopi Elementary School over in the Arcadia area till third grade, and then in fourth grade, I actually moved uh, in fourth grade over to Scottsdale Christian Academy, uh, which is also has Scottsdale Christian High School, and I went to Scottsdale Christian uh, from fourth grade all the way through high school, ended up graduating high school. I believe my graduating class had 27 kids. I believe there was only four or five girls uh, in my graduating class, and all of those girls were good friends of mine. Um, just just had a ball. Um, it, it was a great school. Scottsdale Christian is still around, uh, and just just enjoyed it. Um, that was back when I actually got good grades and um, was a fairly studious uh, kid. I, I didn't quite take that uh, to college. Um, it wasn't like I was wild or anything in college. I just didn't really focus probably like I should have. Um, I ended up going, let's see, I played golf at Scottsdale Christian. Uh, I played tennis my senior year. Um, just really enjoyed my years at Scottsdale Christian. Love that school. I went to Abilene Christian University right out of high school for one semester. And I say one semester because I literally made it to November and the wind was howling and blowing and uh, I'd call home and I'd say, what'd you do today? And my dad'd say, oh, I played 36 holes. And I was like, I'm coming home. I was um, trying to play on the golf team there at Abilene Christian. Uh, so I came home and went to Grand Canyon University and I actually lived at home uh, while I went to Grand Canyon University. I ended up playing golf there, uh, met some really, really fun guys and um, had, a, had a pretty good team here and there. Uh, I played in a few college tournaments. I was always the guy that just barely would sneak in and make uh, the fifth position. I definitely wasn't a college standout player by any means at all. Uh, I was, you know, decent enough that every once in a while I'd make a tournament and uh, enjoy those days. Uh, I was working a lot at um, Stone Creek Golf Course, uh, Scottsdale Country Club in high school, but then in college I worked a lot at uh, Desert Mountain, uh, which is a private course on kind of North Scottsdale. And while I went to Grand Canyon, uh, I, I uh, worked at Desert Mountain. And I studied uh, justice studies, and I ended up I I ended up my golf my four years of golf um, my eligibility was up, and I had 18 hours to graduate, so I transferred to ASU, 
and graduated with um, a degree in either, I think they call it justice studies from ASU. I thought at one time I wanted to be FBI, thought at one time I wanted to be an attorney, thought at one time I wanted to be a cop. Uh, the reality is I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do and uh, ended up, got a degree uh, from Justice Studies and then uh, when I got out of college, I actually graduated in December of, I believe, 95. It's fuzzy. It was either 95 or 96. 96, I think, December of 96. I got my real estate license uh, right away and um, started selling vacant land uh, out in the Rio Verde area in Northeast Scottsdale. And then kind of that's where my real estate career uh, started. So that's kind of my educational experience. Uh, great student in high school and a very, very poor student in college. Um, just did not want to be there and probably wouldn't go if I had to choose again. I probably would have started work and got my real estate license and got jumped into real life. Because um, I didn't really do any of the college scene. I, I wasn't a partier. I wasn't a drinker. I, I, di I didn't do any of that. So I would say I got basically nothing out of my college uh, education. Thanks. Um, I paid for school myself. And it took me a while to pay off my student loans. But um, if I had to do it over again, I don't know that I would do it. I probably would have got my real estate license and jumped into real life real quick. So that's it. Guys, back to these questions here. We've got a question. Best elk calls, diaphragms, etc. Um, I'm going to tell you that, in my opinion, everybody's mouth is different. So, you know, for me to say it's the best elk call or someone else to say it's the best elk call, it's the best elk call for them. I can tell you what works best for me. Uh, for mouth calls, You've got uh, the Steve Chapel mouth calls. I believe he's got a partnership with Rocky Mountain Game Calls. And then you've got uh, Phelps, uh, Jason Phelps, Phelps Game Calls. His AMP, his AMP uh, diaphragms are really good. Um, my fr friend Bo Brooks um, also can really make a good mouth diaphragm. Uh, for external calls, uh, I like the chapel calls. I like the trophy wife. That's, in my mind, the best external call. And then the matriarch, um, I like it as well. Very, very nasally, good sounds. Um, highly recommend listening to Steve's YouTube uh, videos, listening to exactly how he blows uh, those calls and listening to his tonal quality and how soft and subtle and he you know I think a lot of people on external calls are way too abrasive um, Steve blows them really really well I highly recommend checking those out uh, I've got a call a question here what were the Kuyu shoulder straps that you really liked for your pack uh, I can't find them on the Kuyu website they're called the apex shoulder straps uh, and I love them I used them on my hunt uh, in Alaska the doll sheep hunt in Alaska, and um, I've been using them scouting uh, the whole time at the Ot 6 Ranch and uh, these Desert Bighorn sheep uh, hunts, uh, scouting for these uh, hunts coming up, and it's a game changer. So check out the Apex uh, straps for Kuyu. Uh, that's go to kuyu, K-U-I-U dot com. They're also a sponsor of my podcast. 
let's see, uh, with the average hunter age increasing every year, shouldn't point creep eventually come down? I don't think so. Um, I'd have to really look at the numbers, but it seems like premium hunts are getting harder and harder to come by. Uh, we've got uh, Jay, what's the best pan head for 12s or 15s uh, or a spotter? That's a good question for Cody Nelson, uh, my friend at GoHunt.com, the optics manager, 702-847-8747, uh, extension 2. I'm hearing some real good things about the Siru uh, uh, VA5 and then also the old standby, the Manfrotto 700 RC2, the 128RC, uh, the MVH500, um, the B-Free Fluid Head, and the X-Pro. Uh, I really like the 701HDV, which requires a bigger um, plate, if you will. Uh, but I understand, I've had it for a couple years now, I understand the, H, the 701HDV, they don't make them anymore. Um, another head that I've had for probably 10 plus years is the 701 RC2, and I really like that. Um, both of those go on a, a set of slick uh, carbon fiber tripod legs. Uh, slick is very affordable. Um, I've had the same slick tripod. I just got a new one kind of as a backup, but I've, I, I've used the same slick legs for over 10 years. Um, I, I think they're a phenomenal product. I think they're quieter than aluminum, and um, I, I, I just darn, I both use them and really like them. Uh, question, will coos return to burn areas? Uh, absolutely. Coos deer love burns for sure. Um, they, uh, you know, they're browsers, uh, but certainly as long as the fire is not too hot, kind of like we were talking about before, uh, definitely the coos deer love burns. So if you're hunting in units, uh, uh, also you can get on Onyx maps and they have a burn, uh, both prescribed burn and wildfire burn. Um, any, any major burns in units, you can get the overlay. So you can kind of look and see where you're wanting to hunt and um, definitely uh, deer love burns. Uh, question here, what's the best kuyu pant? Wait, what's the best Kuyu pant, or what's the best pant Kuyu makes for Kuz country? Um, I'd say the guide pant. Uh, the guide pant uh, has four-way stretch, has a fleece lining, um, has a, a vent uh, ventilation down the thighs of, of both legs, um, but they're probably the most durable. Now I say that I have the Pro Pant, the Talus, and the Axis. They're in the mail. I haven't gotten them yet and I'll use them this season in coos deer country and I'll report back in. Um, now the guide pant can be a little warm for those October hunts, but as far as durability, uh, the guide pant is pretty hard to beat. Um, if you're not doing a ton of brush busting, obviously the Tiburon pants with the dot air technology and the um, attack pants are very good choices as well. I've got a question here. It says, have you tried the BRRR method in real estate? Buy, rehab, rent, and refinance. Uh, it's fine until the market crashes and, and you're leveraged to the max. Uh, be careful um, not to, over the next few years, to not have too much leverage. Um, having the tenant pay for your 
um, mortgage and pay for your investment over time is a super smart idea. Um, I'd highly recommend doing 15-year mortgages and try and get them paid off as quickly as possible. Uh, that's the most conservative strategy. Um, you know, the market is getting top-heavy in my opinion, so kind of watch uh, your, your purchasing right now because I think, I think we're getting a little high as far as, you know, the, the Arizona market, the Colorado market, the two I'm most familiar with, seems like stuff's starting to get on the high end. Um, now, something to keep in mind, if you're looking at this from just simply a buying a property, trying to have as much debt on it as you possibly can, and then trying to get a tenant in there to match uh, the, uh, you know, your, your payment amount, it's, it's, it's actually a really good way to look at things. You're not going to be cash flowing like you hear, you've heard seminars and stuff on cash flow, but look at it this way. If you do a 15-year mortgage and you buy a house and put as little down as you can, and you get a tenant in there, and basically over the next 15 years, that tenant, whether it be one tenant or you know, th you know, three tenants or 10 tenants, uh, they in essence are going to pay that mortgage, um, and you're not going to cash flow in those 15 years. But at the end of 15 years, uh, that mortgage is going to be paid off, and they ha in essence hand you the keys, you already have the keys, but in essence they hand you the slip that says that house is now paid for free and clear. And that's something that I don't think a lot of people understand. You hear so much about cash flow, which is fantastic. I kind of went the other approach and bought houses free and clear and they all cash flow. Every bit of income that comes in, you know, I don't have any mortgages on those rentals. Um, that's the most conservative way and uh, to kind of play that game. The most aggressive way is to leverage them as much as possible and to get a tenant in there. And even if you have to supplement, in other words, let's say uh, your mortgage is 1500 a month and your rent is only 1300 so you're out of pocket 200 a month. Um, you know, 200 a month. Uh, for the year is 2400 bucks, 2400 bucks over, um, you know, a period of, of 15 years, you know, you're talking, you know, you're talking 30 grand or something. Um, not a big deal when in 15 years that house is 100% paid for free and clear. But keep in mind, again, um, you make a lot of money in any investment in your purchase and in your buy. And I just feel like we're getting a little bit on you know the high end things have really bounced off their bottom of say 2011 and um, you know we're definitely on the upper end of the cycle uh, but if you're looking at just simply not a value play you're looking at a play of just trying to get a tenant to pay your mortgage um, you know anytime really that you buy houses is not a bad not a bad investment Got a question here. How far do elk move for their winter range in Arizona? Uh, if I find elk in October, uh, will they be there in November? I would say if you find them before October 15th uh, or shortly after the rut, I would say that you know they're probably not going to be there. If you find them after the 15th and towards the end of October, I would definitely say you have a good chance of uh, those those elk being in the same spot. Now keep in mind, um, you know, if you're talking about hunting bulls, 
Uh, bulls are going to go to the thickest, darkest timber they can find. They're going to go to the nastiest, most steep, uh, a lot of north, north facing, northeast facing um, spots in the unit. They're going to go as far away from roads as possible. They're going to be in those hard to get to places. And those bulls are actually going to get in those places and they're not going to move very much. They like to have a, a lot of feed in the area, like to have water nearby where they literally don't have to, you know, move very much after the rut and they can kind of just relax and, um, and take their time, you know, and, and rebound, you know, repair their bodies and what have you. Got a question here. I would, uh, Jay, I would love to hunt wilderness archery bull elk in Arizona. What's the best unit for this? Uh, I kind of smile and say probably none. Uh, in Arizona, there's a lot of roads um, for you to get that true wilderness experience. I mean, it depends what you mean are you, you know, and what you're looking for. I would say that maybe unit 27 is probably your best opportunity uh, to find that quote-unquote wilderness experience, but you're still uh, going to have quite a bit of roads um, probably compared to a lot of other units, say in Colorado or in Wyoming or in Montana. Uh, so hopefully that helps. Uh, we've got a question here. Uh, Kuyu, best sleeping bag for November elk hunt in Wyoming. Uh, I'm going to say the Kuyu Zero or the 15 degree bag would be my choice. I would just kind of um, talk to your outfitter or, or definitely check weather.com, check historical um, weather, you know, averages and what have you, and then just kind of gauge um, whether you should take the zero or the 15, the super down bag, but uh, you'll love that Kuyu. Um, I have both the 15 and the 30. I don't have um, many, much need to ever be in a zero bag. Uh, I just don't hunt in those conditions. Uh, quite honestly, but I would definitely look at the zero to 15, excuse me, the zero or 15 bag. Got a question here. Uh, did you see that ASU beat U of A yesterday? And I smile, actually, yes, I did see that happen. And I almost, almost felt bad for my Wildcat friends, but not really. Um, I was jumping up and down. Actually, I was driving down, coming back from sheep scouting and listening to it and texting and calling my buddy Brian Remza, who's a wildcat, and giving him all kinds of grief. Uh, yeah, I was happy to see the Sun Devils pull that out. I was happy to see them miss that field. The Wildcats missed that field goal. And um, what a great game. What a great rivalry. And um, there's uh, nothing better in November than the Sun Devils coming out on top. And uh, I know I'll get like 50 million emails from you Wildcats, but uh, hey, um, it was a heck of a game. Got a question here. How much do you think cattle in a pasture affect mule deer versus whitetail? I think cattle definitely affect deer habits. Uh, I see them living in the same pastures right next to each other, you know, feeding right next to each other. But it seems like when they have a chance to move, they're just going to, if there's a pasture fence, they're going to hop the fence and live on the other side. Um, you know, I think, you know, cattle get in the water holes and just, you know, cause all kinds of ruckus. I think they cause a lot of noise. I think they eat a lot of the, the, the you know, vegetation. I think they even eat the browse that the deer like. Um, you know, on the same token, I've seen them just, you know, bucks laying right next to cows and, you know, 
um, have it seem like it doesn't bother them. But I think if 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 they have a choice, I think they're definitely going to try and go in the pastures where the cattle aren't. Got a question here. When trying to determine the size of bases on a desert bighorn, what do you look for? I go off the data from the Arizona Game and Fish Department or whatever state that you're hunting. And what you want to do is you want to go off prior rams that are harvested in the exact unit you're in. It doesn't really help you if, you know, you're in unit 44 and you're taking base measurements for unit 22. You want to get base measurement averages for the exact unit that you're in. If you can't gather that as well, you want to gather base measurements for surrounding units, but definitely uh, the, the exact unit you're in, in my mind, is most important. You want to use that as a general baseline, but you want to look at the statistics and you want to find those rams that are, say, eight years and older. What are those mature, you know, rams, eight, nine, 10, 11 year old rams? What are those bases? So, so find the age and then try and anything over eight years old, put that in your chart and then, you know, basically just do an Excel spreadsheet and try and find out what is the baseline uh, for those bases. In other words, what is the average? So, you know, a lot of the Western Arizona units, you're going to have Mexicana, Mexicana Rams are going to be in that 14 and a half um, range. Um, you know, some of the Nelson I units up in the 15s. Uh, you're going to get some of those bases that are high 14s, maybe even right at 15 inches. Um, and, you know, you've got your 22s and 24s and some of the you know better units in Arizona. You know, you might be pushing 15 and a half uh, on your average base size. So knowing the age class of rams that come out of your units and knowing the average base size is huge. So that's where you want to start. You, you want to get that data you want to gather that data and use that as your baseline. And let's say you're in a unit and, you know, you've got, you know, 15 or 20 rams and the average base size is 14 and a half. And you've got a low of, say, 14 and a quarter and you've got a high of 15. I would highly recommend to never, when you're evaluating and looking at a ram, to give a ram 15. I would give it the average and then work your other measurements off of the average. That way you're, you're never, you know, assuming that it's bigger than the average. Now, what I like to do is I like to gather uh, old photographs of those exact rams that are in, you know, Arizona Game and Fish um, gives you the, the harvest statistics. Uh, you know, I have them back to, uh, I think, 2005. And you can actually go in there and find pictures of those rams. You can find pictures on social media. You can find pictures, you know, from Game and Fish, Buddies, what have you. And I try and create a database uh, for rams in that unit. And then I try and put on the picture, I try and edit into the picture, uh, the base size, the horn lengths. You know, if I have the other three measurements as well. Um, you know, the, the base and the other three-quarter measurements, I try and put them in there if I have the total score. So in other words, I look on my phone and I can say, well, here's, you know, 14, 15 rams, 16 rams, whatever, 25 rams, however many you have in your database. And you can, when you're looking at a ram, you can go, wow, this looks like ram number seven. 
that so-and-so killed that, you know, has 14 and a half inch bases. He has 36 inch horns and, you know, he scored X, Y, and Z. And you can go, well, the ram looks like it, but it's not quite as heavy throughout the horn or, you know, his, his, his horn lengths aren't as good. In other words, I try and gather as much data as I can. And then I try and create a, a picture photo base or video base, whatever I can get. And then I try and extrapolate those measurements into the RAMs that I'm actually looking at. The other thing I use is a, I use PhoneScope um, to try and video and photograph the RAMs. I keep those on my phone as well. And then I'll play a video from say three years ago in the same unit. And I know the exact measurements of a RAM that we took. And then I'll play the video of the RAM I'm looking at. And, and then I'll try and say, well, his bases don't look as big or his bases look bigger or his bases look the same. Then I'll say throughout the horn, he has very, carries very similar mass throughout the horn. So I'll kind of compare those measurements from prior sheep that have been harvested to the RAM that I'm looking at. Um, the old adage of, you know, space between the horns, you can really get hosed by that. I, I wouldn't really go off of that as much um, and put as much stock in as I would historical data from rams that have been harvested in the unit. It says, Unit 23, hunt average temps going into hunt blind minus all your great info on your podcast. Uh, I would say, you know, unit 23 on the OTC hunt, uh, that hunt, it depends. I mean, you could be way up north, up in the forest, and you're higher elevation, so you're going to have colder temps, or you could be down south in the desert, and you're going to have, uh, you know, higher temperatures. Uh, so you've got a range of low to high. Uh, you know, if I just had to throw out for general information for unit 23 i would say you know usually the lows in the morning in january are in the 15 to 20 degree range and the highs can range anywhere from you know 50 to 70 degrees depending on where you're at obviously go back to weather.com again and use that as a tool to try and predict your 10-day forecast and then you know plan accordingly to that guys i'm going to conclude that here for the questions we're going to do some more on another podcast episode i want to thank you guys for supporting this podcast i want to thank the sponsors as well i want to thank gohunt.com uh, the gear shop the optics department my friend cody nelson runs the optics department uh, if you have any optical binocular spotting scope tripod any glassing questions glassing need at all you can call him at 702-847-8747. You can also send him an email at optics at gohunt.com or cody at gohunt.com. And he answers everything himself. He has also promised me that he will take care and give great deals to J. Scott Outdoors podcast listeners. And I want to thank them for their support. I want to thank gohunt.com for their support of my podcast. They've actually been with me since the beginning. We're coming up on four years here in February. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. That's K-U-I-U dot com. Uh, make sure to go to the website if you have any uh, questions or if you want to look at their gear. They actually have a really good website that's interactive that you can go and figure out what's the best pant, you know, what's the best jacket, what's the best glove. They have comparisons 
Um, you can also send me direct questions uh, on my Instagram if you have questions about Kuyu Year. I want to thank Kuyu for their sponsorship. Uh, I also want to thank Phonescope.com. All of the video and photos that you see on my Instagram account, those are taken through a Phonescope adapter uh, with my iPhone X. If you use the JScott 18 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount on all products at Phonescope. Also, CanyonCoolers.com. Based out of Flagstaff, Arizona, uh, I've got that um, big, uh, awesome navigator cooler from Canyon Coolers. And then I've got some smaller coolers. One I use in my boat, um, the Outfitter Series um, cooler that I use in my boat in the summer uh, to keep everything cool. Uh, go to CanyonCoolers.com. Use the J. Scott 18 promo code. You're going to get a... 10% uh, discount. And last but not least, uh, Onyx Maps is the new sponsor of the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. And if you use the promo code JSCOTT18, you're going to get a 20% discount uh, on the products there at onyxmaps.com. Uh, those are the maps that I use at the Ot6 Ranch on my uh, the, the phone app. I also um, I love the fact that I can, uh, I love working on Google Earth and then I can import a file from Google Earth into my Onyx desktop and it automatically transposes it onto my phone app. So once I take my phone out into the field, all the work that I've done on my desktop is automatically on uh, my phone app, which is awesome. So Onyx Maps, use the JScott18 promo code, you're going to get a 20% discount. Guys, I really appreciate you supporting my podcast. You can reach out to me, a direct message on my Instagram, at jscottoutdoors. You can send me an email, uh, jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. And until next time, guys, God bless, and thanks for, thanks for all your support.